family who lived around the corner from us uh, who had two sons, Timmy and Tommy. Uh, one of them was about a year or two older than me. One of them was about a year, year or two younger than me. And in every sense of the word, they were nothing like me. Um, in every sense of the form, their family was nothing like my family. Uh, I, I didn't know them terribly well. It was mostly through bus ride interactions, some interaction at school, and driving in front of their house, which they weren't even outside that often. And as I noticed these differences, I mean, we're talking the way they talked, they walked, the way their family interacted, um, the cars they drove, to the way they kept their lawn. Everything was different. And if I'm being honest, from what I heard about their life, from what I saw about their life, they were doing things wrong. They were flat out doing things worse. See, by the age of 14, and probably much sooner, I drew lines on who was doing things right and who was doing things wrong all based on how I viewed someone from the outside. Social theorists will describe the way in which people and institutions operate. Uh, you have your fuzzy set, you have a bounded set, and you have your centered set. I'm not going to talk about the fuzzy set today, um, but the, the bounded and the centered set could be described something like this. You're a farmer, uh, you have three acres or so, and because you have about three acres, you're able to put fence around the property that you own. And the whole purpose to that fence is to keep your cattle in and to keep other animals out. This would be a bounded set. For a centered set, imagine that a, a rancher has uh, just a massive amount of acreage, a massive amount of land, too much that you can't put fence around. That's just way too much fence. And what the rancher would do is actually dig wells at the center of the property. Because a centered set approach assumes that the animals won't go too far off because their livelihood is dependent on the wa water source that the wells provide. I could explain much more about these, but I, I think you get the point for this morning. I built a fence. And as people, as, as people and as institutions, we have the choice. We can either build fences or we can dig wells. And as I built a fence around Timmy and Tommy, essentially what I was doing is I was determining that they were on the outside of all that is good. They were far from all that is right, and they were missing all that was beautiful in life. And by the age of 14, I could build a pretty strong fence. And ultimately what this leads to, pride, hate, fear, just to name a few things. So who are the Timmy and Tommies in your life? See, every day we have the choice. We can put up fences or we can dig wells. And as the people of God, we are called to a life of unity and a life of love at all costs. So how do we go about building less fences 
and actually participating in digging more wells. We're going to continue our sermon series, Open Secrets, this morning. Um, and if we're open and honest with this passage, I think we should all find ourselves feeling a little bit uncomfortable this morning. Uh, see, this passage falls in, in right into line with uh, Jesus' open and public teachings that are oftentimes neglected because they're hard to hear and they're oftentimes misunderstood. Now, before I read the passage, I, I want to do something a little bit different today. We're going to try something. We're going to experiment. Uh, we're, we're really trying to find as many ways as possible to drive connection with one another on Sunday mornings as we gather virtually. Um, so we're not going to break into our discussion groups, but I really want you to pay attention to what is God speaking to you uniquely this morning and what he, might he be calling you to? And then what I want to do is maybe one, two people at most, if you're willing, if you would volunteer to actually come on the screen with me, Hannah will just put us both on there, and you and I have a dialogue about what you're trying to process around what God's speaking to you this morning. It's not just to get on and share your thoughts and, you know, just, you know, talk about what God is speaking to you this morning, but actually opening up, like you have a challenge in your life around this that you're trying to navigate. You have a situation in your family or uh, the way you're interacting on social. I don't know what it is, but if you feel like God is convicting you, if he's, he's working out something in you and you just want to process that and, and actually move into being able to take good steps forward, I'd love for us to get on screen, you share those things, and then maybe be able to ask you some questions and maybe even speak into that situation. It's going to require some vulnerability on your end, uh, but don't worry, I feel it also. Uh, I, I feel the stepping into vulnerability to try something like this. If no one feels comfortable, don't worry. We'll sit here in silence for a little bit, just waiting, and if not, it's okay. We'll, we'll wrap up the message from there. Um, but just keep that in mind. I'll explain that again as we get there. Uh, but this morning, our passage is found in John chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Um, John is one of the four accounts of Jesus' life. So John 13, 2, 13 to 22. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, You've probably heard it said before, or maybe even said it yourself. Jesus got angry, I'm going to get angry too. Jesus flipped tables, I'm going to get physical too. Now, was Jesus angry? Absolutely. The money changers were essentially your modern day check cashing stores in impoverished neighborhoods. Those that were selling cattle at astronomical prices were like the recent years of those of color going to banks to get a home loan and it costing way more. Where the Gentiles were to worship in the court of the Gentiles, where they were actually to worship their creator and connect with God, 
The Jewish people had filled it with merchants and business transactions, pushing them out. Jesus was absolutely angry at everything that was going on. But I think this takeaway of Jesus getting angry so that I can get angry is just a bit too simple. So my question this morning is, how open am I to those who are different than me? How open am I to those that I disagree with? How open am I to God working in their life, even though I don't see it? You see, the temple was a way for ethnic and cultural Jewish people to connect with God. This was a gift from God to remind them of, of who God was and that he was bigger, that he was higher, that he was different. Yet at the same time, he was present to and he was with them. The temple was a time of prayer. The temple was a time of being open. It was connecting to the divine. And as we see here on the Passover, especially with thousands of people coming to give their sacrifices in this celebration, in this worship, it's actually a multicultural and a multi-ethnic place. But for the Jews, it's a place to hold on to their own cultures and traditions and to exclude others. I remember hearing a, a story of a pastor, um, Tim Keller, who years ago planted a church in New York City. And as they set to plant, he told his wife, um, hey, life is going to be out of balance a little bit for a little while in regard to our work and home life. Because uh, you see, when planting a church, well, at least not in COVID-19, you spend a lot of time out with other people in the evenings, on the weekends. Um, when you don't have a staff and you're volunteer-led, shout out to all of our volunteers, uh, your workload is a little bit heavier in regard to tasks. So he says, look, things are going to be out of balance for a bit. And what ends up happening, after a couple years, he drives home, he's walking up his door to go into his home, and all of a sudden, fine chinaware just starts crashing on the sidewalk next to him, and he can hear his wife from the second-story window with every plate coming down saying, enough is enough. We cannot keep this up any longer. So he rushes inside, he goes upstairs, he pleads with her, stop throwing our fine china. Okay, I'll slow down. And through their conversation, she stops throwing the china out the window as he says, I will slow down my work life. And then she points to the cabinet where all the fine china is and it's all still in there nice and neat and explains that she had purchased some cheaper glassware to put on a show for him. And this is a lesser way of somewhat demonstrating what Jesus is doing here as he's driving out the cattle, as he's flipping the tables, as he's spreading the coins everywhere. Jesus is play-acting as the temple is going to be destroyed. We see this with Old Testament prophets as they would demonstrate physically the prophecies that they were trying to get people to see and to understand. And like a performance artist, the point he is trying to make is that God is done with this form of relating to him. He is done with a bounded set way where the Jewish people were determining who was in and 
who was out. He was done with them putting up fences to protect their cultural, their ethnic, their familial way of doing things and to start digging wells so that all people could come to worship the Creator. Now, in this time, knowing God was open to all people. See, Jesus' play acting was a fulfillment of a prophecy. Yes, much bigger than you or I just trying to justify us getting angry at those that we don't like and those that we see as the problem in our culture. Like I said, being open to the Spirit in this passage, I think we should feel a little bit uncomfortable by this. For a first century Jewish person, the Gentiles and the Romans were violent. They were prejudiced. They were economically unjust. As a Jewish person, you actually took great pride in not being like them. But like a first century Jewish person, every time I build a fence, every time I determine who is in and who is out, it keeps me from seeing others with inherent value actually pursuing all people with love, with grace, with generosity. Ultimately, it keeps me from seeing others the way God sees them. So, what is the cattle that needs to be driven out of your worldview? What are the tables that need to be flipped over in your life? You see, I I think we're always trying to overcome the age-old problem which says God is basically like me, but bigger. He agrees with the people like me and doesn't like the people I don't like. The people and worldviews that I find troubling, God is actually trying to bring them in. There's a saying that goes something like, When God always agrees with everything that you are thinking, you may be mistaken who actually is God. As you drive down Olive, who are you building fences around? As you cross over Shaw, either north or south, who do you see as doing it wrong or doing it worse? When you scroll through social media, who is the problem? Questions for all of us is, is does God agree with my worldview? Does he agree with my, the way my family operates, with the lifestyle choices that I make, the political alignment that I've affiliated with? And this actually gets really granular. If you're married or you have roommates, I think you know this one. Like, I am certain that God agrees with the way that I load the dishwasher. And there's no other way of going about it. This is in every layer of our life. But God and God's ways are higher than you. And those that are like you. God is always more than how I see the world. And he includes those who I disagree with and who I see as the problem. 
However you and I see God and ourselves, it's coming down. Now, I don't remember how it all came about. Um, I definitely didn't realize it back then, but Timmy and Tommy, they taught me something. And it's that predeterminations and distance divide us. Again, predeterminations and distance divide us. Here's an image to help explain that. Get it? See, it was around the time everyone my age started getting uh, really nice stereos for uh, their, their bedrooms. And I remember the really big, the black ones that had these huge speakers, a bass. There was enough room to put stickers on it. I didn't get one of those really cool ones. But I did get this like nice sleek one that I thought was pretty cool. And somehow in conversation, uh, I think it was on the bus one day, Timmy, Tommy, and I got into conversation around music and the stereos. And, Somehow it ends up that Timmy and Tommy want to come to my house and they want to check out the stereo. I honestly am in fear that they're going to beat me up and steal my stereo, even though my parents are home. Maybe they're going to beat up my parents too. I don't know. But that's what's going through my mind. So we're in my bedroom. We're hanging out. We're talking about the stereo and some music and, you know, really just, I don't really <laughs> what we're exactly doing. And then all of a sudden, one of them picks up an unwrapped Garth Brooks CD and says, my mom loves Garth Brooks. And I think out of fear, I just said, oh, you can have it. Take it to your mom. And so he takes the CD and gives it to his mom. And from then on, we had this relationship. We weren't best friends and didn't hang out all the time, but we would interact. I think I actually went over to their house a couple times. I very quickly started to realize that who I thought Timmy and Tommy were were so far from the truth. And how I treated them and perceived them was so unfair. So when is the last time you were curious with someone that is different than you? When is the last time you actually reached out to someone that you disagree with and that you see as the problem and you ask genuine questions of how they arrived where they arrived. Because see, as the people of God, we have a choice to build fences or to dig wells. The good news is that the well has already been dug for us. At one point on their journeys, Jesus sat at a physical well, a literal well, with a Samaritan woman who was on the outside of society for her gender, ethnicity, race, culture, lifestyle, everything. They have this dialogue of where to worship and who to worship and how to worship. And she was on the outside, and Jesus then answers one of her questions, saying, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Probably not going to be a Garth Brooks CD. But 
what are the wells that the people that you disagree with and are opposed to and see doing it wrong, what are the wells that they are longing for in their life? Because in so many ways, aren't we all trying to find ways to be loved? Are we all longing to be seen and to be known and to be heard? We want to find hope in the horrid experiences and circumstances of our life. We want to find joy that transcends the day-to-day nuances of our life, the pain and the agony. We want to find belonging. And see, I think for us, the call is that we as the people of God continue to strive to walk towards the well that has been dug. And while we're doing that, we invite others to come drink from that well. Lord Jesus, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. For honor of your name, amen. Let's go ahead and take communion.